0: Today's scripture reading is Luke chapter 8, verses 22 through 25. One day he got into a boat with his disciples, and he said to them, Let us go across to the other side of the lake. So they set out, and as they sailed, he fell asleep. And a windstorm came down on the lake, and they were filling with water and were in danger. And they went and woke him, saying, Master, Master, we are perishing. And he awoke and rebuked the wind and the raging waves, and they ceased, and there was a calm. He said to them, where is your faith? And they were afraid, and they marveled, saying to one another, who then is this that he commands even winds and water? And they obey him. May the Lord add a blessing to the reading and the hearing of his word. Well, good morning, East Point Church. Happy Palm Sunday. Happy Palm Sunday. Uh, the Sunday that we reflect on the trajectory of our Lord to the cross, that uh, historic, faithful Passion Week. and We will be celebrating all week, but it's uh, great to be again in the house of the Lord together as God's people. Amen? If you are visiting with us, uh, let me take time to welcome you. Uh, my name is Philip Duncanson. I serve as an executive pastor here at uh, East Point Church, and we're happy that you have joined us. If there is anything that we can do to serve you while you're here, uh, please do not hesitate to ask. Uh, we'd love uh, to do so. Uh, you've uh, already seen that we, we, we want to point people to Jesus. In our singing, um, in the way that we interact with you, we, we pray that you have been pointed to Jesus. And my hope in this sermon this morning is to once again point us Jesus our only Savior our only hope in this world so let's uh, go to the Lord in prayer and ask him for his help Uh, Heavenly Father um, we do thank you for this day for you are a good God a gracious God a loving God and we your children have the privilege of calling you father you have brought us to this place to worship you, to gather as your people. You've already met us by your spirit. We pray that you would continue to teach us, continue to illuminate the eyes of our hearts that we might see and behold the living Christ, the one in whom we trust, the one the one who is the Savior. We thank you for him. Bless this time. Be glorified in it all. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You've joined us in a series uh, through the uh, Gospel of Luke, looking at uh, various encounters uh, that people have had with Jesus. Uh, This is Jesus has already had some encounters with his disciples, but we we find him having an encounter with these disciples on a sea. Now, I have been on a share, uh, a fair share of uh, boats in my lifetime, big boats and small boats, fishing boats, pontoon boats, uh, speed boats, uh, you name it. I've been on catamarans, And so I have some type of familiarity with being on the water. But I must admit, uh, to this day, each time I get on a boat, there is a small ounce of trepidation. Because I am very much aware of the unpredictable nature of the water. There is a vastness and a depth to the sea and and to even some some lakes that can unnerve even the most comfortable seafarer among us. Well, in our text this morning, we are going to see that the disciples experienced that unpredictability in a most extraordinary way. Most of us have some working knowledge of the details of this interaction between Jesus and his disciples on the Sea of Galilee. It is a familiar account because it resonates with us. We all know the feeling of fear in the midst of a storm, both literally and figuratively there is a famous painting uh, by the well-known artist, Rembrandt. Rembrandt, uh, of Rembrandt, Rembrandt depicting this account. In in his painting, Rembrandt, in great detail, uh, seeks to convey the emotions and the realness of what he thought was taking place on that sea that evening with Jesus and his uh, disciples. I believe if we all possessed the gifts that Rembrandt possessed, we could all paint an equally vivid and accurate depiction of what it may have been like to be on the boat that evening. Now, why do I think that? Because most of us, no doubt, figuratively speaking, has been on that boat. In fact, some of us this morning are on that boat right now. You're on that boat. The boat you're on is, it's rocking and it's reeling and you are being deluged by wave after wave, and and you sense it in your spirit that if another wave hits, you're going to go down, that you're going to perish. And so, that is why I believe that this account isn't just for the disciples who walked with Jesus then. It is also for the disciples that walk with him now. Jesus, I believe, wants you to be comforted and you to be strengthened as well by what he teaches his disciples in our text this morning. So let's dive in and see what the Lord has for us. Prior, prior to our uh, text, the other gospel writers tell us that Jesus had been teaching. He had been teaching in parables all morning and, and all afternoon. It had been a long day. We know it was a long day because Jesus, Luke tells us, fell asleep on the boat as soon as they pushed Uh, from shore but he knew jesus knew he had an appointment he had an appointment to on the other side of the lake that he needed to get to so even though he was fatigued they began the journey and in this journey in the journey it turns out there would be a lesson isn't isn't that what we have been learning throughout this series Jesus is constantly teaching. He's constantly utilizing every opportunity to point the disciples to his glory and give them another opportunity to trust him, to place their faith in him, to see indeed that he is trustworthy. Well, just a quick aside. In light of this, I want to remind you, brothers and sisters, that God is always working. He is always working. Let me say that again so it sinks in real good. God, God is always, he is always working. He doesn't, whether you think it or not, he doesn't waste the experiences and circumstances in your life. Everything that you are going through, all of the various trials and joys in your life, yes, that very thing that comes to your mind, God, God is using it to show forth his glory in your life and he is using it to give you another opportunity to trust and believe in him. Don't ever, don't ever forget that, that he is using those experiences in your life to show forth his glory towards you and to give you another opportunity to trust in his faithfulness even when you are faithless. Every every experience, every experience, Brothers and sisters, life is not random. It is purposeful, orchestrated, providentially ordained by a good and loving God. He's not wasting the experiences and the circumstances in your life. He is always, always, always working. But that's just an aside. That's just an aside. That's not the sermon this morning. We must, we must go back to our account. So Luke tells us Luke tells us in verse 22, one day he got into the boat into a boat with his disciples, and he said to them, "Let us go across to the other side of the lake." So they set out. Now now this is indeed. Uh, Luke is using this information as kind of orienting information. He's, he's setting up the narrative for us. He's, he's letting us know. He's setting the scene. He's letting us know where they are. He's, he's letting us know the various characters that are in this narrative. It's, it's Jesus. He is Jesus who got into the boat with his uh, disciples. This is uh, orienting information. But I want to call attention to a fact that I believe is crucial to us understanding the overall lesson that Jesus is going to teach the disciples this morning and the lesson that he is going to teach us. Notice that Luke says, one day Jesus got into the boat with his disciples. Jesus Got into the boat with his disciples. Now, now, when I was younger, and I would go places, my my parents, as I am with my children, were quick to ensure that I was not going alone. Who are you going with? They would ask. Right? Who's going to be with you? Make sure you take someone. With you was the admonition. Well, why this emphasis? Well, well, it stems it stems from the principle that we all know, often times to be true. We've experienced it that there is strength in numbers, right? That if you find yourself in, in trouble, then there is someone to help you. Now, brothers and sisters, as the disciples got in the boat that evening, they were not alone. Jesus was, was with them. Jesus was in the boat with them. Now now listen, as Christians, it is crucial to our peace and to our encouragement to remember that you and I are never alone, that Jesus is always with us. He's always with us. Matthew 28 and 20, he said to his disciples before he was taken up into heaven, and behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. That is the promise of Jesus. Wherever you go, wherever you are, Jesus is with you. And brothers and sisters, understand this. That is not strength in numbers. That is strength in the power of God. (laughs) Strength in the power of God. For Jesus to be with you is for God to be with us. He is Emmanuel, God with us. Oh, I know. I know that sometimes it doesn't feel like it. It feels like you are alone and that you don't have any help. But don't don't let your emotions betray you. They will. They'll betray you. They will lie to you. Don't trust them. Don't 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 let them lie to you. You and I are never alone because we have the promise that Jesus is with us. The disciples, that evening, as they set out from shore on the boat, they had the physical presence of Jesus with them. And that was going to prove more life-changing than they could have ever imagined. Because the presence of Jesus, it always does. It always proves more life-changing than we could ever imagine. It means something. The presence of Jesus means something. There are truths associated with the presence of Jesus that I believe, are clearly displayed in this account that I, think, that I think and I pray and I hope will encourage you this morning. And so that is what we are going to explore. What does it mean to have Jesus with us? What does it mean to have Jesus with us? That's what, is, that's what we're going to explore this morning. But first... I want to tell you what it doesn't mean. What it doesn't mean. The presence of Jesus doesn't mean the absence of trouble. The presence of Jesus doesn't mean the absence of trouble. Luke tells us that, they, that as they were sailing along, a windstorm came up over the mountains. Now, now to orient us, we, we need to remember that the Sea of Galilee was surrounded by hills and large mountains. And so from time to time, the, the, the wind would come through the, the, the tunnels created by the mountains and the, the peaks and in the valleys, and, and it would a, a windstorm would kind of stir up the waters upon the sea. This was, this was common on the Sea of Galilee. And so suddenly, as they are going across the lake on this boat, the the wind comes uh, up over the mountains and descends on the water, and it began to to stir it up. And, And in no time, waves, waves began to crush and crash upon board the boat large swells of water starting uh, to cause the front of the boat to bob up and down. And, and, and the disciples, they were taking on water faster than they could bail it. They were in trouble and they thought at any moment, it would be the end. Now these were, these were fishermen. They had been on the sea. If any, anybody were seafarers, it was these disciples. So this storm that caught them off guard, that caused this much fear and trepidation, must have been an overwhelming storm. So much so that they thought their lives were coming to an end. But wait, 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 wait. Didn't we just say that Jesus was with them? Didn't we just say that? I thought Jesus was on the boat. What do you mean they were in danger of perishing on the water? Listen to me. Yes, Jesus was with them, and yes, he is with us, but it doesn't mean the storms won't come and the waves won't rock and reel our boats. The disciples that evening were experiencing a very real storm. Real wind was blowing. Real waves were crashing upon their boats. They were on the boat. They were tired and they were wet and they were full of of fear. Their anxiety was through the roof. They were in real pressing trouble. Brothers and sisters, you've been there, haven't you? you? You've been there. We have felt the same emotions. We, we know what it is like to feel like the world is pressing in. Our trouble is pressing in on us, and there's no relief, and we're fearful that it is going to take us out at any moment. I can't handle it anymore. They were in real, pressing trouble. We have all felt these same emotions. I know I have. Too too often than I care to admit. If I'm honest, I, just this week, feeling it. We've all been there, fearful, full of anxiety. If, I, if, I, if, some, if somebody brings something else to me. But like Peter tells the dispersed saints, don't be surprised by these trials. We live in a world full of trouble, a world that has been radically affected by sin. Jesus promised this in in John 16. He said that in this world you will have trouble. Brothers and sisters, just because we have the presence of Jesus doesn't mean we won't experience pain and hurt. Listen to me. We have Jesus with us all the time. But guess what, the storms still come. There is no invisible force field around this building that keeps storms from harming us. In fact, every time it rains in East Point, there's a thunderstorm, the lights go out in this building. (laughs) Christians don't walk around in a bubble. Sadly, and tragically, bullets riddle Christian schools. Homes of faithful believers get flattened by hurricanes. Saints go bankrupt and get diagnosed with cancer. God's children, they suffer loss, fail tests, have difficult marriages all of us can testify to the fact that the presence of Jesus doesn't make you immune to trouble. But guess what? Our trouble doesn't trouble Jesus. Our trouble doesn't trouble Jesus. Notice, notice what Luke says while all this was going on, while the waves were crashing on the boat and the wind was whipping in, and while the disciples were losing their minds, Jesus was sleeping. He, he was, he, and now this was, this was good sleep. I mean, that REM sleep, that Sunday afternoon nap type of sleep. Jesus was asleep. On the, the boat. Mm-hmm. Matthew 11:29 through 30 reminds us that though we are troubled by our trouble, Jesus is not troubled by our trouble. He says in Matthew eleven twenty nine 29 through 30, take my yoke upon you and learn from me. For I am gentle and lowly in heart and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. He's not troubled by our trouble. He is never troubled by which, that which burdens us. And please note, that just because he is not troubled doesn't mean he doesn't care that is what one of the di- the other disciples thought in uh, in mark mark in recalling the same event says that one of the disciples in reference to Jesus cries out does he not care that we are perishing and sisters, we have to remember that Jesus is not emotionally charged like we are. He is not excitable like us. He doesn't worry like us. Those things don't need to be present in order for him to demonstrate that he cares. His presence is the confirmation of his concern for you. Of course, of course, of course he, he cares. He, he wouldn't bid us to come and, and lay our troubles down if he didn't. He wants us. Jesus wants us to tell him about our troubles. Tell him. Tell him. And that is the second thing the presence of Jesus means. The presence of Jesus means... You have a person to take your troubles to. You have a person to take your troubles to, Luke 8, 24. And they went and woke him saying, Master, Master, we are perishing. And the disciples were in trouble and they needed help. So they they turned to the one who was not troubled in the midst of the storm. They took their trouble to Jesus. Brothers sisters, this is one of the blessings of knowing that Jesus is with you. You have a person willing, ready, and able to help. You don't have to go anywhere. You don't have to run to the church. You have to visit your prayer closet wherever you are. You can call on him. The disciples, the disciples did right. They had no other hope. They were desperate. They went to Jesus for help. How about you? Who is your default when you need help? Listen. Listen. I think we as Christians should be without excuse in this regard. Now, why do I say that? Because even unbelievers, even unbelievers in the midst of trouble have some sense of where to take their trouble to. You you have heard it, but perhaps you did it yourself before becoming a follower of Christ. Some tragedy hits, some difficult circumstances has you been fearful. And what do people typically do? They call out, they cry out to God, they call out to Jesus. Lord, if you would just get me out of this trouble, then I'll do such and such. Uh, They do that because they know deep down that they can't solve their problem and there has to be a higher power that can intervene. If, then, brothers and sisters, unbelievers know how to do it, how much more us who have the eternal Son of God who loves us and cares for us, we have him with us. Call out to Jesus, not to your friend, not to Pastor Tony, not to the internet. Drop to your knees and call out and say, Master, Master, I am perishing. I need help, I need help, I need help. Listen, Jesus needs to be your default when you have trouble because as Psalm 46 and 1 says God is our refuge and strength a present help in trouble <laughs> it's God he is our refuge his strength and, and so we need to go to him very present help in our time of trouble I ask you again is Jesus who you turn to when you are in trouble if not Why not? Perhaps you don't turn to him because you think he is not listening. Well, that is false according to Scripture. Psalm 34 and 6, David says, This poor man cried, and the Lord heard him and saved him out of all his troubles. The Lord was listening to David Maybe you don't think he is willing to help with your trouble. Well, ask the leper in Matthew 8, who wondered the same thing. It it, it wondered if that was true in Matthew 8, 2 and 3. And behold, a leper came to him and knelt before him saying, Lord, if you will. In fact, in other words, are you willing? If you will, you can make me clean. And Jesus stretched out his hand and touched him, saying, I will, I will, he's willing, be clean, and immediately his leprosy was clean. You see, you do understand that God listens, he is willing, and therefore all your reasons for not taking your troubles to the Lord are not valid reasons, but perhaps Perhaps the greatest reason we don't take our troubles to Jesus is because we don't think he is able. We assume our trouble is impossible for him to do something about. Oh, this is foolish. This is the trick of the enemy. When we are in trouble, we must never forget what the psalmist says in Psalm 121 and 2. My help comes from the Lord who made heaven and earth. Now, think about that for a moment. Your help comes from the Lord who made heaven and earth. I know we say and focus on the fact that our help comes from the Lord. But do you understand that it is the second part of, Clause of that verse that gives it the punch, that gives it the bite, that that we we that that the one who made heaven and earth is the one who provides us help. The one, the one who made the birds that fly and the fish that swim. Your help comes from the one who set the stars in the heaven and gave the sun its brightness. Jesus made heaven and earth. Therefore, and here is the point, what is your trouble then to him? Your help comes from the Lord who made heaven and earth. For nothing you understand then is impossible with God. And the disciples were about to experience that truth in living, in living color. Because the presence of Jesus means you have God with you to help you with your troubles. When Jesus awoke and he saw the wind blowing and the sea raging and his disciples losing their mind and fearful. Uh, He he rebuked both the the wind and and the waves and, and in an instant, the storm, it ceased. It ceased. But I don't think when we read this account, we fully grasp the full miracle of it all. Well, I didn't. I know I didn't. I didn't, ref- I didn't reflect on it enough. But in studying this, I just realized afresh that this is true. You see, the storm, it didn't just die down. It stopped completely. You see, one minute, no, not one minute, one second, it was raging, and the next Second, there was peace, calm. No waves still kind of slowly crashing up against the boat. No, no light whistle of a wind. No, no, no. Peace. The sea was like a mirror. And the, 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 the wind was all calm. Oh, Jesus with one word. Mark says, Jesus said, Peace, be still. Peace, be still. And in an instant, their trouble was gone. It was gone. Nothing is too hard for God. The impossible becomes possible. He is able. That is why we take our trouble to him. Whatever your trouble, big or small, take it to Jesus. Jesus. He is the one who made heaven and earth. And with one word, your life that is full of turmoil, waves, wind, in an instant, Jesus can bring peace. In an instant, peace. Jesus woke up and he calmed the storm. And we know it was like that and peaceful because of how the disciples responded. This left them in awe. They were fearful in Luke 8 and 25, and and they marveled, saying to one another, Who then is this that he commands even winds and water? And they obey him. They rightly assessed that Jesus, standing before them, was revealing himself to them in a way he had not done so before. He wasn't simply just a rabbi. He wasn't just a prophet. He was the one true God made flesh, and he was present with them. Jesus. Was no ordinary man. That is what struck fear in them. Now listen, listen. We have all, we have all prayed for it not to rain. Have you? You've prayed that before? I've prayed it several times. Uh, uh, right? We've done it at the church picnic when we were about to have a want to have a nice picnic and we know the rain would cause it just wouldn't be good if it rained, so we pray that it, it wouldn't rain. I've, I've been going to play golf sometimes, and, and I've prayed, <laughs> I've prayed that, it, that it wouldn't rain so I could get some swings in on the golf course, right? And, and sometimes God, in his mercy and in his kindness, right, he, he doesn't allow it to, to rain. He doesn't allow it to rain. But, however, When Jesus said to the wind and the waves and and rebuked them, the the wind and the waves, Jesus didn't utter a prayer. Jesus uttered a command. And there was no hoping or choice in what he said. What he said happened immediately. The the waves stopped and the wind stopped immediately at the sound of his word. Peace, be still. The disciples had never seen anything like this before. That's why they were in awe. That's why they were in fear. They, they had heard of Elijah praying for the rain to stop, but to command the wind and the waves to cease, they understood that was the prerogative of God. Uh, and we see that in several places in the Old Testament, that it is God who controls the weather. But one clear demonstration of this prerogative took place in the life of Jonah. Remember Jonah? When he was, he was running from, from Nineveh because he, he didn't want to, to go uh, and, and preach the, the gospel to them as God had, had told him to do, he was being disobedient. But while he was on the boat, what does the text tell us in Jonah 1 and 4? But the Lord hurled a great wind upon the sea, and there was a mighty tempest on the sea so that the ship threatened to break up. Who sent sent that wind? Who sent that storm? The storm that Jonah faced wasn't random. It was sent and controlled by the hand of God. Because he is sovereign. He has sovereign authority over the weather. Psalm 89 and 9 tells us that. You rule the raging of the sea. When its waves rise, you still them. Therefore, the disciples were right to fear and ask As the King James Version says, what manner of man is this? What manner of man is this? I love what one commentator says about the act of Jesus calming the storm. He says this, Much that is wrong on earth can be corrected. There are mothers who can dry tears, repairmen who can fix machines, Surgeons who can remove diseased tissues, counselors who solve family problems, etc., etc. But it takes deity to change the weather. You better teach. Deity to change the weather. That was part of the purpose of the storm, you do understand. That was part of the lesson. <clears throat> Jesus was revealing to them his divinity, his glory and power in a real and tangible way that the disciples could experience so that they can see. Now, have you ever thought about that? Have you ever thought about your trouble like that? That God is using the storms in your life to reveal to you in tangible ways his glory and his power to make them cease in a moment. To remind you again that he is God and you are not. You can't solve all your troubles. But God can. God can. Think about that. When you are in trouble and you call out to the Lord and he answers and rescues you out of the trouble who gets the glory who gets the praise well and I must return to Psalm 34 again and listen to David as our example where he says in Psalm 34 2 and 4 my soul my soul makes its boast in the Lord Let the humble hear and be glad. Oh, magnify the Lord with me and exalt his name together. I sought the Lord and he answered me and delivered me from all my fears. God is praised and glorified when he solves our trouble. When he makes the storms in our life cease. Cease. He He gets the glory. I was reminded about that this this week. My son got some good news this week. Something that he had been working on and we had been praying for. And the Lord answered and it was favorable in his, was favorable to him. And I was talking to him and I said, I said, son, you did it. You did it. And he responded back. God did it. Amen. God did it. Because God, yes, rebuke son. I'm rebuked. God got the glory. God gets the glory. God gets the glory. All glory goes to him. The glory belongs to Jesus. That, that, that is what Palm Sunday is about. Jesus receiving the glory and, and praise that is due to him. Yes. Glory Hosanna, Hosanna, hallelujah, you receive the glory, you receive the praise. When he calms the storms in our lives, we can't help but give him glory. Oh, these storms and troubles that suddenly and seemingly without warning descend upon our lives are being used by God to give us a greater glimpse of his glory. They allow us to see his power, and his concern for us so that we can say like David again in Psalm 34, 8, Oh, 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 taste and see that the Lord is good. Blessed is the man who takes refuge in him. Oh, that was David after the Lord delivered him out of all his troubles. but we also see our troubles are not just, God doesn't just use them to show forth his glory and his power in our lives. He also wanted to give the disciples another reminder and another lesson on faith, on faith. After calming the storm to settle their fears and worries, Jesus looks at them and says, Where is your faith? Where is your faith? I'm sure it was a humbling question to them because it's a humbling question to me. I'm not sure if it's the same for you. Where? Where is your faith? This question from Jesus speaks to the heart of their trust or lack thereof in him. They had been with him for some time. They had seen his miracles and heard his, his teaching. They, they had experienced his authority over the physical world. Did they not trust him? Why the fear? Why the worry? Jesus was with them. My well, brothers and sisters, I hope you hear the twinge. A rebuke for us are the troubles of your life the ones that come to your mind when I say trouble are they causing you to despair or to lose hope Jesus says to you this morning where is your faith where is your faith not not faith in some tangible feeling or object but faith in Jesus where, where is your trust in the midst of your storms? Is it in the one who gives you this comfort? Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, Psalm 23 and 4, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Well, brothers and sisters, we have already established the presence of Jesus doesn't mean the storms won't affect us. They will. They will affect us. You're going to get blown over by the wind. The waves are going to crash upon your head. But we have the assurance of the presence of Jesus who will be with us in the midst of of the storm. Again, Jesus comes to us in the storm and asks, where, where is your faith? In studying for this passage this week, a familiar kid's song came to mind. Perhaps you've heard it before. Uh, I would would call up uh, Cassidy and Miss Kimberly and Ashley to help me, but it's a glorious reminder of what faith looks like in the midst of the storm. It says, with Christ, right, as my vessel, I can smile at the storm, right? Smile at the storm, <laughs> yay! Smile at the storm, with Christ, as my vessel, I can, smile at the storm as we go sailing home (laughs) sailing sailing home sailing sailing home with Christ as my vessel I can smile at the storm as we go sailing home faith in jesus looks like in the midst of the storm trusting in jesus placing your faith in him and you can smile at the storm no need to despair for even if you should perish in the midst of the storm if your faith is in the one who is with you Jesus, who has the power to calm the sea, then all will be well. Well with.